0: Desideratum is a Latin word. It means things that are desired as essential. The Desideratum podcast celebrates stories, the art of telling, and the journey of listening, with narrator Teresa Bakken and her author, artist, and wordsmith friends. Episode 19.
1: I wrote my first book when I was in college but I didn't get my first one published until the same year I started collecting social security so it was a long you know time period of of apprenticeship um, you know in between and part of that was the transition from writing and publishing short stories to looking for um, a home where I could um, you know explore ideas at greater length but um, you know I also wanted it to be a place where I had a chance of, um, you know, the best chance of getting published.
0: This is author James Ross. He joined our Zoom call from his writing space in Wyoming, with an open window looking out on the Grand Tetons and the occasional traffic noise. We talked about how his long path to publication came through mystery and crime writing, he has a three-book series. The first is out. It's called Cold Water Revenge. But our conversation today is actually about a detour into historical fiction that begins with a challenge from his agent and leads him down a trail of research into a presidential assassination attempt he'd never heard of before.
1: So he called me in news office and he said, look, I want you to start working on your next book. And I want you to follow the formula. Larger than life character, exotic locale, and global stakes. And as I'm doing some research, I ran across, well, thank God for the internet and Google and the stuff you can find now. But it popped up this tiny article in an, an Italian newspaper from March 1909 that uh, reported the Italian police in Naples had taken a passenger off the uh, ship carrying Roosevelt in his safari to Africa. Uh, And the the person they took off the ship uh, was accused of of, uh, trying to kill Roosevelt by attacking him with a knife. Now, I had never heard of an attempted assassination of Teddy Roosevelt, you know, other than the final one in Minneapolis when he ran for president in 1912 and famously gave that speech with you know, a bullet in his chest and blood pouring out of his shirt, declaring that it, you know, it takes more than that to kill a bull moose. But I read that and it raised two intriguing questions in my mind, which I try to answer through this book. Okay, one, how come it's not in history books? You know, or biographies or anywhere else in English. Um, was it, obviously it was suppressed, but if so, by who and why? The second question, which the book also attempts to answer, why try to kill Roosevelt anyway? You know, for all intents and purposes, uh, he's done. You know, he left the White House in his own accord, uh, declaring that he would follow George Washington's example and not run for a, a, a third consecutive term. But everybody focused on that word consecutive. You know, would he come back and run again?
0: Okay, I want to pause and add something. The book James writes is historical fiction. It's called Hunting Teddy Roosevelt. It takes place during a well-documented expedition safari that Roosevelt leads in Africa. James imagines the forces that want to keep Roosevelt from returning to politics, and he plants a hired assassin on the trip. But his assassin, Jimmy Dooley, is more than a gun for hire; he reflects the prejudices of his class against the elite of his time. One of the things that I um, enjoyed in the story was your introduction of uh, Jimmy Dooley, and that his his background and how you lay out, you know, how he came to be, his motivations, I guess. I think you write him very sympathetically.
1: Totally modeled on on my paternal grandfather. Uneduc- I think he went through the third grade. Um, he was, you know, jack of all trades for a while. He was a professional boxer. Mm. But basically, he made his living the way Jimmy Dooley did, you know, um, uh, practicing his skills for money. And uh, that was family legend. Uh, I only knew him when he was an old man, but he was still the most scary human being i'd ever met to the time
0: so why Mm -hmm. why a character like jimmy Dooley? why put that component into the story
1: um well first of all you have you have to have an assassin and give him a history or else he's a cartoon character and for me the um you know the idea immediately popped in my mind oh that's pops you know i i you know i know this story i know these people you know and actually, you know that part of the book, whether it's historical fiction or otherwise, um, is ultimately where I, I found the most juice. That is the humanity of the characters. Okay, you can set up a story of you know, larger than life character, exotic locale, global stakes, fine. But that's scaffolding. When it gets down to the characters themselves, um, you know, it's their humanity uh, that, that attracts us. In the case of Roosevelt, for example, okay, he did all these great things, and um, it's it's a temptation in writing historical fiction to treat the larger than life, you know, great movers and shakers of time as you know great people in all aspects of their life. But the truth is, absent those you know opportunities, they had to do great things on account of their unique skills. They are fathers. They are husbands. They deal with, you know, domestic issues that are as, you know, rich and and unresponsive to our efforts as you and I. And, um, you know, so it's in the the interaction between Roosevelt and Kermit, or you know, Julian's love for his brother, or you know, the Maggie Ryan character and her struggles with, you know, being a woman of the turn of the century who has ambition, but has to really use all her wits and physical courage and guile to even, you know, get through the door, much less, you know, succeed on the other side.
0: I actually, I went to the internet to see if she actually existed because I was, I was curious about who the grocer's daughter was. Um, And I just wondered where that, where the idea came from because her character becomes very integral to the story. And I mm-hmm. think she's, she helps uh, sort of reveal things that we might not have known too about that whole area when you're talking about the global impact. Mm-hmm. Like her, mm-hmm. her work um, kind of around the safari is so enlightening um, to this, and moving the story, I thought.
1: Um, her character evolved over many drafts. And um, the challenge for a writer is point of view. Uh, in the movies, they have the camera, you know, parrot on the shoulder. Uh, you can um, focus on a scene. You don't have to do description. Your audience sees everything. And, and what you learn what you learn about the story through, out of the mouth of multiple characters. In fiction, you, have, you generally have a point of view character. Everything's going on inside his or her head, what they see, what they feel, etc. Well, that can get kind of boring after a while for a reader. So the technique is to give your major point of view characters a sidekick, you know, with whom they, you know, share ideas and dialogues. So for, you know, Roosevelt, it was from time to time, Kermit or Dooley and from other times, uh, the Maggie character. The original uh, I had in mind was was, uh, based on the, uh Nellie Bly you know the famous uh, newspaper reporter of the turn of the century um the challenge was you know Nellie never went to Africa and um so I started looking for journals uh, of women who had and just got totally immersed there are some fascinating uh female explorers in the you know late 19th century and uh the Maggie character is really a combination of the original Nellie Bly in the sense of being a, a newspaper woman who covers uh, social issues and you know puts herself in danger practically every day. And an African explorer named Mary Kingsley, who I quote in the book, who um, explored mostly in West Africa, uh, but left some fascinating journals.
0: So that is a perfect spot to hear the excerpt from the book which is from Margaret's point of view. It's near the beginning of the book, Chapter 2, when the journey to Africa is just beginning. This is Hunting Teddy Roosevelt, written by James A. Ross. Margaret Dunn walked into her first-class cabin and smiled in satisfaction at its accommodations. Rather than struggle through the mass of humanity that had gathered to give Teddy the big send-off, she'd boarded ship early, intending to enjoy the luxury of her cabin and to listen to the bands and crowds at a buffered distance. Mr. Hurst had wanted her to travel third-class or even steerage, as she had the previous spring for a story on German immigration. But getting close to her quarry would be difficult— if not impossible, unless she had access to the dining rooms and salons where he would be spending most of the voyage. Mr. Hurst had finally agreed to pay for a first-class ticket, though it cost more than he had promised to pay for the stories she hoped to write, a fact that made neither of them happy. All she wanted now was to relax and enjoy. Luxury had been no part of Margaret Dunn's upbringing, though she'd gotten a brief taste of it during her marriage to a Midwest steel mill owner, whose business had failed a year after their nuptials. Finding herself once again in opulent surroundings felt strangely sad and bittersweet. But the crossing to Europe would last only ten days— and she was determined to enjoy it. The goose-down mattress on the teak four-poster bed felt heavenly against her pale skin. The stuffed chaise and wing-back chairs in the adjoining room looked soft enough to sleep in. The bathroom tub was, well, a bathtub on board a ship. The Hamburg line boasted theirs was the only one to have such a luxury— and then only in its finest first-class cabins. Maggie immersed herself in its enameled luxuriance and remained there for most of the afternoon. There would be no tubs on the African savannah and no hot water other than what could be boiled in an iron pot over an open fire. The man for whom the bands and the crowds clamored so exuberantly could have no idea that she intended to join his safari and chronicle its adventures for the Hearst newspapers. He could have no idea that she was even on board this ship. But when they met again, for the first time in more than thirty years, she was certain he would invite her to join him. How could he not? As if, in answer, she felt a sudden flutter of nerves, something she had not experienced in decades. Or rather, the 15-year-old grocer's daughter, who had fallen in love with a 17-year-old boy named Teddy, felt the flutter. Would he remember her? Of course he would. A week after he'd walked into her uncle's gymnasium to learn how to box, she and Teddy had become each other's first kiss. When she ended their adolescent romance a year later, they were each other's first broken heart as well. You don't forget such things. Still, would he know her story since then, as she knew his? Maggie Ryan, grocer's daughter, who had turned herself into Margaret Dunn, muckraking Hearst reporter— Famous in her own right for exposing the horrific conditions in New York's Garment District sweatshops and countless other stories? Of course not. Not even her two deceased husbands knew all the hows and whens. The boy with whom Maggie Ryan had exchanged that forever imprinting first kiss was in for a shock. wondering if that if you wrote that from you're very descriptive in the, the about the room mm-hmm. that she's in we spend some time on the boat mm-hmm. before we we get to our destination right so where did that where did that come from
1: you know the research for this book including um the you know trying to get details on the boat roosevelt took to africa um you know what his stateroom looked like what a second class stateroom would have looked like on that boat because she wasn't traveling first class because Hearst wouldn't pay for it. What steerage looked like because ultimately she you know, finds herself down there. And that holds true not just for you know, a description of the, the stateroom, the, the actual um, boat he took, what the actual stateroom looked like, or when they get to Africa, things like what was a German officer's uniform uh, you know, comprised of in 1909 Africa in Germany, East Africa? What did the Ascari wear? What did Maggie wear? What did a female explorer in 1909 wear trancing across East and Central Africa? And where do you find that stuff? Right. Um, it's a lot of research.
0: And then you tell some really fast moving stories of of the dangers the perils that they find themselves in in actually hunting some of this large game and was that all um like did you go and research that to find actual instances of them or where did you fictionalize a lot of that for for drama and for uh excitement
1: both really roosevelt wrote probably the best safari book ever written african game trails and he yeah, you know, he lays out the whole safari day to day. He's an extraordinary writer. So what I did in in this in my book was I took that, you know, he wrote the story of of his safari. I wrote the underlying story of him being hunted while he's you know while he's the hunter being hunted, basically. And so those excerpts, you know are are mostly from his book, They set up the scene. And uh, what I've fictionalized in several of those scenes is you know, the actual dramatic scene with a wounded game animal or something that, that Roosevelt recounts in his book. And I add the Dooley characters tampering with this, that, the other thing to enhance the danger of that scene.
0: But so I like to, um, I like to ask every author for you what is essential?
1: Growth. Um and, and that comes, yeah, you know, that's the path of growth I think is self-selected. Um and it changes for everybody or can over time. But I think we find satisfaction in growth. Uh, more than anything else. I mean, the saying, of course, is it's the journey that, not the arrival, that matters. And uh, I think that's that's true. I've you know I've been various things in my lifetime. Uh, you know, Peace Corps volunteer, Capitol Hill um, staffer, Wall Street lawyer, now writer. And the sad, most satisfying part of that, like father, grandfather, husband, is the journey. And, and the, grow, the personal growth uh, at each stage. And hopefully, you know, if not every day, more frequently than not. So um, you know, that, that, that's my answer, growth.
0: I, I love that. I love that. That's fantastic. That's a great answer. Thank you. We ended our conversation there. But then James asked me to pass along a plea, a request that if a professional historian, a scholar, is listening, that they dig deeper into the facts in the 1909 Italian article that inspired this fiction story. You can find Hunting Teddy Roosevelt everywhere books are sold, and connect with James through his website and his newsletter. I'll put a link in the show notes and, of course, on the Desert or Autumn podcast website. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thanks for taking so much time to talk to me today. It was really a pleasure getting to know you.
1: No, well, it's my pleasure, Teresa. Thanks for having me.